Father, we've come to worship you. We've sung about you. We've sung truth about you. There's no one like you. You satisfy your own righteousness and justice by the tremendous mercy and love of sending your son. And Jesus, you willingly came. You were not only obedient, you were wholeheartedly willing. You didn't just comply, you obeyed. And then through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you give us a whole new life. We're not here to improve ourselves. We're here to rest in you, to believe your good news, to be changed into your likeness. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. You'll need your Bibles, and I'd like you to open them, please, in the book of Psalms. We're going to begin this morning a short series in the book of Psalms, which are music. We don't have the tunes. We don't know. We can imagine, but we can never know for sure the melodies, the tunes that were underneath these lyrics. But when you open the book of Psalms, you are opening up the books of the songs of God's people. And music is, to me, has always been one of the clearest evidences of the existence of God Himself. God made us to respond to music, and we do. Music is often divisive in churches. Have you, have you known such a fact to exist? You didn't play my song. You played my song, but not the way I like it. People who work in movies have long known that if they can have a great soundtrack beneath the action, everything that is portrayed on the screen becomes so much better. Years ago, I met one of the most interesting guys I've ever met in my life. He was a soundtrack writer for soap operas, which is quite a job. And he'd worked on some very big projects and movies that you've seen, but he said, my very favorite thing to do is to work on the instrumentation in soap operas, and my very favorite company is very, very terse. They just call and say what kind of scene I'm supposed to write for, and it sounds like this, hello, kidnapped baby, click. <laughs> and I said, how in the world do you write music for a kidnapped baby? And he told me, and he showed me, and I was kind of moved, like, oh no, a baby's been kidnapped. I wonder if everything's going to be okay. And I didn't see any of the hyperdrama of the soap opera. I just listened to the music. The Psalms are a little bit like that, but in a much, much, much more eternally important way. Years ago, it dawned on me that one of my favorite singer-songwriters, who shall remain nameless because I don't want to lose credibility with you, had not written in her entire career a single happy song. I actually hadn't noticed because some of the melodies are so upbeat that I hadn't paid attention to the lyrics, but once I dug into the lyrics in a challenge to my wife, because she said, I don't like her, she doesn't have any happy music, and I said, of course she does. <laughs> Marriage tip, don't argue with your wife. There's no winning. Even when you win, you somehow lose. Just don't do it. So I went Googling around for the happy melodies, and sure enough, below these very upbeat, dancey kind of songs was the worst heartbreak you could ever hear of in your entire life. Not one happy song last I checked in the entire catalog. Maybe now, but I don't know. The Psalms, it's all in there. 
Whatever you're going through, however great your joys, however deep your pains, however hard your questions for God, if you feel forlorn and forsaken, if you feel that God has not only, is not only ignoring you, but He has not only forgotten you, but He's actually ignoring you, it's all found in the Psalms. The Psalms are the songs of God's people as we move through joy and heartbreak, and life has both. Here are some of the truths found in the Psalms. As I did with Proverbs, I want to show you first just a little bit how the Psalms work, and then we will look at just one of them. Some of the truths found in the Psalms are these. There is a God, and He has spoken. Psalms, in fact, records the music of the people of God living life in His presence. Psalm chapter 1, or rather the first psalm, Psalm 1, says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, what's it say? Day and night. There is a God, and he has spoken There are evil, godless, wicked, foolish people all around us. But above them all and before them all is a God, and He graciously has told us who He is and what He wants. He has given us, as the psalmist says, He has given us His law. The psalmist says that person who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord, the sovereign God who is there. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is a God, and He is not the God of the deist, the super-intelligent watchmaker who makes the universe intricate and beautiful and walks away from it to let it run its course. No, there is a God who has made life, is deeply involved in it, observes the way of those who choose to trust Him and those who choose to rebel against Him, and as I'll show you at the end of this sermon, He will make sure that each gets what they have chosen in response to Him. There's a God, and He loves us, and He loves us by speaking to us, by letting us know who He is. This week, I've spoken to a few people who are In their own understanding, they're searching for God. They have deep questions. Congratulations, you're on a good journey. There is a God, and He has spoken and acted in history so that you will know Him, so that you don't have to wonder about Him, so that you can know Him and have Him be the most certain of all your personal relationships, though you do not yet see Him. A second truth found in the Psalms running all the way through the songbook is this, God's teaching is true and trustworthy. The first Psalm that opened up that idea that God exists and He's spoken and He's given us His Word announces that rather clearly, but it's much more dramatic than that if you look toward the end of the Psalms in Psalm 119. When you get there, I just want you to thumb through it. Get to Psalm 119 and then just kind of turn pages going right. 
Hear the laughter? Why are people laughing? Because this is long. Why is it so long? Well, there's a hint in your English Bible. See the strange word above Psalm 119? Aleph? See the strange word above verse 9? Beth? Now, what in the world is that? Some of you will know from childhood. What is that? That's the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 is an acrostic. Every line in every section begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet from start to finish. Those of you who are songwriters or poets, imagine being constrained by that kind of discipline, that your next line has the letter already spoken for. Did you ever, this was popular when I was in Mexico growing up in elementary school, if you really thought a girl was cool, you would write an acrostic with her name. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> Rebecca, radiant are your eyes. <laughs> e, exalted is, I, I don't know, I'm making stuff up as I go here, and the couple acrostics, a third grade version of me wrote, were not any better than that. This is the king of the acrostics. What's the point? When you're reading the Bible, slow down. When you're reading poetry, slow down in particular because there are hints as there are in music. There are little signals that the songwriter is giving you. What this is trying to show you is that the Word of God is complete. It encompasses all of life. And if you read all of its verses... It will take you through all human experience, pain and disappointment and overflowing joy and praise. It's all here, and the point of Psalm 119, the reason it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, is because in the center of the songbook, God wants you to know that He has not only spoken, He is teaching, and you can trust what He tells you. There are Precious few sources of information that are reliable in this world, none of them are infallible because even the most trustworthy people sometimes make mistakes, but God's teaching is true and trustworthy. A third truth in the Psalms is this, we'll be learning to trust God all of our lives. That's the reason the range of emotions is so big and so deep. Look back with me in Psalms, please, to Psalm chapter 1. I want to show you another literary feature because the Psalms were very carefully constructed. Hopefully, all of your Bibles have a heading over Psalm chapter 1. Do you see it? It says, book 1. Not every Bible will have that, but it should. Because the Bible, the Psalms are not only a book, it's five books. And they're put together in a very specific order for a purpose. Look with me, please, to Psalm 41. Aren't you glad you brought your Bible? Yes. 41 verse 13 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Now look with me in Psalm 72. This is book, this is the ending of book two. 
Psalm 72 verse 19 says, Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. I won't walk you all the way through it, but the point is this. The book of Psalms itself is arranged in five different books, and every time the collector of the Psalms ends one of the books, it all ends with praise to God. What that tells you is that the Psalms alternate between soaring praise and grief-soaked lament. There are Psalms that are utterly dark and hopeless in the Psalter. I want to show you one, just one verse. Look with me, please, again, in the book of Psalms, and we're looking in 88. Psalm 88, verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to Sheol, meaning the grave. You ever felt like that? You go, Man, I'm really glad I came to church this morning. It's kind of sad. Let me tell you why I'm showing you the dark notes, the minor notes in the music. Because life is sad. And one of the greatest unintentional lies that the church in general, and the American church in particular, has told Christians is that life is happy all the time. And if they're not happy, something's wrong. They're doing something wrong. If they'll only do things right, they'll be happy again. The Psalms explode that lie in song after song. In fact, Psalm 88 ends like this, verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companions have become darkness. And the first time I read that carefully, I waited for the resolution because it sounded like jazz ending on a dissonant note. See, your brain, down to the musical taste, is wired for resolution. Here's what that sounds like. Ta-da! <laughs> if it ends and it's not complete, your brain wants to fix it. The audience doesn't know what to do. It didn't end well. Why is Psalm 88 in the Bible? There are all kinds of grays and darks in the psalm, but this one is pitch black. Why did the psalmist end by saying, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Why does it end like that? Because that's how life feels some days. And if you come to God with the expectation that you will only have happiness and joy every day of your life with Him, You'll constantly feel like he is not real. The Psalms are structured this way in these five books with all of their darkness and all of their lament. Every single one of the five books ends in what, I'll teach you a churchy word, ends in a doxology, a word of praise to God. Because what the Psalms want to show us is that 
There will be deep and sometimes impossible to understand pain and disappointment in this life, but it will all end in praise eventually. The last five psalms of the last book, beginning in Psalm 145, are all praise. They're the little grace notes, the little happy notes that have been woven through the whole book end in a loud fortissimo crescendo of praise and trust in God because life actually does resolve. But it doesn't resolve here. It resolves in eternity because the fourth and best truth that the Psalms continually show us is this, God's Messiah is our only hope. We started in Psalm 1. Look with me to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That may be 3,000 years old, and you may have noticed not much has changed. What the psalmist portrays is the whole world arrayed against God. In Psalm 1, God announces that His law is good, and the man or woman who is wise enough to listen to it, dwell on it, and put it into practice will have a blessed life. But the nations, great masses of people, independent of God, created by God, but independent from Him through their rebellion, hate Him. How does God feel about it? He who sits in the heavens, what's it say? You ever see that in your Bible before? See, this is why reading the whole Bible and all the Psalms is so important because you and I see terrible things in the news and we feel distressed. Did you ever see anything in the, did you see anything in the news this week that made you angry? That was the biggest reaction I've gotten so far in this sermon. I mean, we've been in deep waters and that's the, that's the question that connected. That's interesting. Why is that? Because if you're paying attention to the world, your blood will boil all day long. I actually advise you to pay less attention to the world than you are and pay much more attention to God. And Psalm 2 verse 4 gives you a very different perspective. The nations on earth rage against God and say, let's be done with Him. Let's cast off all of His restraints. And the Lord who sits in heaven, what does He do? He laughs, not for joy, but at the foolishness, the silliness, the futility of their rebellion. And we're getting into deep waters, but it's these kinds of deep waters that can give you a life that will endure the suffering that is sure to come your way. Let me ask you, do you want justice? Did you hear the mixed reaction? The mixed reaction was for this reason, well, justice for who? For them, absolutely. Let it roll down like the mighty waters. For me, what would you rather have for yourself? Mercy. Absolutely. He who sits in the heavens laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king. This is Jesus. 
On Zion, my holy hill, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And here the psalmist works on two levels. He's thinking of the king of Israel threatened by his enemies but with God on his side because God has made beautiful covenant promises to Israel. But as I'm about to show you, he looks far beyond history knowing that the king of Israel himself is sinful and fallible. And the king of Israel himself will not always do what is right. These verses that follow could only apply to the final king, the best king to Jesus. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You want justice? Listen. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I don't know what this is doing for me. You, I just got to chill. Yeah. Wrath and mercy side by side in the perfect character of God. There is a time to seek Him and come back to Him and rest in Him and have that beautiful, blessed life that endures the drought and the ravages of life in this cursed, sin-stricken earth. But the time is short and you need to turn to Him now because there is a God and He has spoken and He has spoken clearly. Almost everything you need to know about God is embedded in the lyrics of the songs of God's people as they navigate life with all of its heartbreak. I've just given you a few psalms to look at. There are many more. But the point of the, that is woven all the way through the psalms as they continually picture the impotence, the ultimate fallibility, the weakness of all of Israel's kings is to make people hungry for the true king who will rule over all the nations. Let me show you one more. Look toward the end, please, of your songbook. Psalm 118. I told you to bring your Bible. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as a helper. I shall look on in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. Here's Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected has become what? The cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you remember that? That's what people sang to Jesus shortly before his arrest and his crucifixion. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Jewish worship before Christ. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures. How long? Forever. Why is it structured this way? Because the psalmist wants you to see, if you're paying attention to the flow of the book and the arrangement of the five books that, that together make up the psalms, that as the psalms do, our lives will end in praise because God will save us. If you set your life on having your best life now, you will be chronically disappointed. If you treat God as a life coach and a self-improvement helper, to give you an easy, pain-free life, you will ask Him for a life that He did not grant to the apostles and that was not enjoyed by the Son of God, Jesus Himself. He, the prophet, told us as a man of grief and a man well acquainted with sorrow. His whole life is pictured poetically in the book of Psalms, but it's ultimately all good news because God has not only acted in history to send His Son to save us, He will return so that all of these promises come true. This is the book of Psalms. And I've invited you to read a chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. Anybody doing that? Here's another idea. You can read a psalm every day of the month. This one takes a little more math, and, and someone complained about the math involved. Because there's 150 psalms. Here's how you do it. You just take the day of the month and add 30 until you run out of psalms. That way, every day, you have five choices. And you can just look through those psalms, and there you may find in the same day grief and joy. And you can ask your heavenly Father, what should I read? You can ask yourself, where am I? Am I on the mountaintop of joy where I can praise God all day long and I don't have enough words and emotions to tell Him how good He is because all that He has done for me? Or do I feel like the psalmist in Psalm 88 saying, I've been forsaken forever by everyone and even the people who I once looked to, to me, look like darkness today. All of those things are real. And all of this is good news. I know it doesn't immediately sound like it, but 
Jesus called us to follow him every day, taking up daily our, do you remember what he said? Take our cross and follow him after daily. The Psalms and all of God's word is given to you to teach you to endure and to look to something bigger and better than circumstantial happiness which is so fragile, and to look to the enduring happiness and goodness of God, who by the gift of His Son is pleased to call you His beloved daughter, who loves you so much that Paul, reflecting on many psalms that are woven through his writings, asked this question, how will He who has given us His Son not also with Jesus give us all things? In other words, if God loved us enough to give us Himself, how could we possibly think, however hard our emotions scream at us, that this momentary heartbreak means that God is not there? It's astonishing that God in His Word records the real heartbreaking lament of His people. I won't take the time to read it to you right now, but you can remember this, lucky Psalm 13 is one of the most heartbreaking psalms in the Bible. It thankfully resolves in six verses. It resolves with trust and a forward look to joy. That psalm is meaningful to me because God led me to it when I was 18 years old after a very painful time in our family when my mother was in the hospital telling me, pray that God will take me now. That's a heavy thing to hear when you're 18, and the strongest, godliest person you've met so far in your life is wishing for death. I opened my Bible and found my answers where so many suffering people have for all these thousands of years in the Psalms. But don't miss the end of the book. The last five Psalms are straight praise after echoes of praise all the way through In the last five psalms, there's not a note of grief or wondering or pain or loss at all. It's all straight praise because that's the end of the story. If you look at the end of this book, in the last chapters of Revelation, justice finally does come. Those who have taken refuge in the God who is there and the God who has spoken are saved. Everyone else is judged according to their own deeds and finally Finally, life is as it should be. That's where we're headed, but there will be pain along the way, which is why God gave us the whole songbook. Look with me in Psalm chapter 1, and we'll wrap up. Psalm chapter 1 is in the place of honor of the first psalm because it's an introduction and an opening to all the psalms that follow. It's an invitation to hear the God who is there and to listen to Him. Let me read it to you again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You may learn that if you've been reading Proverbs, you may think that Psalm chapter 1 sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs, and you'd be right. This is what Bible students who have tried to classify the music call a wisdom psalm. It's showing you really two ways to live. And the first thing it tells you is that the first mark of a person who listens to God is that they refuse ungodly advice. Look again in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not 
in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'm just studying the Bible with you and teaching you how to do it. I'm modeling with you a good Bible study skill. Look carefully at the verbs in verse 1. What are they? Talk to me. First there's walks, then there's what? Stands, and then there's... Do you notice something? What's happened? The person is slowing down. In other words, there are people in his life who can be described as wicked, who can be described as sinners, who can be described as scoffers. And the man who does not listen to them at all, that man, that woman will be blessed. But a lot of people do. A lot of people do listen to the wicked. A lot of people do listen to foolish. A lot of people seem to be beyond God's help and beyond God's truth because they scoff at everything. Scoffing, jadedness, cynicism, that's the final armor plating against God. Where nothing of any importance, of any seriousness, of anything that would actually give you life can be heard because you just laugh at everything. Everything's one sad, disappointing joke. The first thing Psalm 1 tells you, we're learning the Psalms together, is that the first mark of the blessed life is you don't listen to the wicked at all. And those verbs, if you'll notice, first walking, then standing, then seated, shows you that the person who listens to the wicked gets comfortable with them. In other words... The longer you listen, the worse it gets. You just walk with foolishness for a little while, then you say, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this. This is kind of fun. He's kind of fun. She's kind of cute. Let's just hang out for a little while. And now we're not walking anymore. We're standing. And then we get really comfortable, and we throw in our whole life with people who will ruin us and destroy us. How many people can tell me that they've been there? I know some of you have. You're sitting right in front of me. Let's keep reading. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his, lay, on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, rather than listen to the wicked, the blessed man, the blessed woman listens to God. Here's the outcome. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, if you understand Israel, and some of you have been there with us, you understand it's a brutal desert. And the only plant life that has any chance of making it, unless there's really expensive artificial irrigation, are the few trees that are happy enough to be planted right by the river that never runs dry. You understand the word picture here? What God is offering to you, if you will listen to Him with all of its pain and all of its heartbreak, God is offering you a drought-proof life. A life that when the ravages of pain and the heat of suffering come on you, you hang in there. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Note the contrast, verse 4, the wicked are not so but are like, what? What in the world is chaff, folks? 
Have you been to the farm at harvest time? The chaff is the stuff that gets in your underwear and drives you crazy for the rest of the day. That's what chaff is. What is this word picture? That there are some who think they have the wisdom and the strength to build a life apart from God, and they don't look at the outcome. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but what's it say? The way of the wicked will perish. A godly person not only refuses wicked counsel, he also listens and delights in what God has to say, and he trusts God for the outcome. See, a word of encouragement for those of you who were half in, because maybe you're trying, as I did for years, to keep a foot with God and a foot with the world, and Sundays are your, your God day. And the others, well, we'll see. Take the word picture. There is a God, and He has spoken. He has spoken because He made you and He loves you. He Himself, justice in a person, righteousness, eternally existence in the character of God. The reason you hunger for justice is because God Himself is just. He made you in His image. You know when things are wrong, you want them set right. God will not be thwarted. These courts, these laws, these nations, these presidents, these tyrants, these armies, they may get it wrong. They often do. Power makes them all alike, you may have noticed. But God, He will not be thwarted. The only reason He seemingly delays His justice is because, as Peter, His disciple, explains to us in the New Testament, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because God will make certain that the life, for whatever pains it may have, that trust Him will flourish, and the life that refuses Him, ignores Him, rebels against Him, scoffs against Him, will be blown away like so much dust, literally blowing in the wind of God's justice. The Psalms opens all of life up to you all of its joys and all of its pains and teaches you to pray and to stick with God and to notice the progression of the Psalms themselves because by the time they're over, the laments grow fewer and fewer and the last five Psalms are pure straight praise. If you know Jesus, that's exactly how your life is going to end. And however awful and painful the last days here on earth are, when God opens up heaven and gives you the fullness of His presence and the fullness of His blessing, Paul the Apostle says that the things that you suffered here will seem utterly unimportant in view of the glory that God will soon give you. That's the Psalms. Let's close our time together now that we've learned a little from them by praising God together, as Israel may have done years and years ago. Let's read Psalm 150. It's on your bulletin. Let's praise and let's pray to God reading this together. Psalm 150, right off your bulletin, please. Here is how God's people pray at the end. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praising with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, we praise you. And we turn to you now, God, for comfort or correction as each of us may need. Can I just ask you in closing if you trusted Jesus as Savior? I know like a soundtrack, this sermon had its moments of real sorrow, real judgment, real wrath, and then higher, brighter notes of mercy and goodness and blessing. It's all there and it's all true. My question to you is, have you trusted Jesus as Savior? If you haven't, could I invite you to do that right now? And just pray to God as the psalmist. and Say, God, give me your forgiveness. I'm sorry for my sin. I take Jesus as my righteousness, my justice. I accept his sacrifice in my place. Please forgive me for all the wrong that I've done. And give me Jesus in place of my sin. He's that merciful. He's that kind. He's that good. He'll trade lives with you. Take your life and give you instead the life of his son. You'll have eternal life starting today, and it'll continue forever. And in the darkest hours, you'll still have him. He'll still love you. If you need him, call out to him. Ask him to save you right now. Father, I pray that you would help and give mercy to those who are seeking you. May everyone, Lord, who is not entirely sure that you love them and you have forgiven all of their sins and they have the certainty of eternal life, may they pray and ask you for it right now. And thank you, Lord, for teaching us to sing in life the happy songs and the sad ones too so that we may live with you and thank you for the confidence that it all ends with praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If this morning you've taken a step of faith toward Jesus, one favor, find the bulletin, take one at the end if you didn't at the exit, if you didn't have one, find the card that's in there and please let us know that you've done that. Let us know that today you've trusted Christ as your Savior. We had two people do that last week. We're excited that God is adding to his family. We would love, love, love to know that you have begun your life with God because we want to help you live it. We want to live it with you. It's been a joy. Keep reading the Psalms. Keep reading the Proverbs. And remember, even with the dark notes, it's all good news of God's love and faithfulness and mercy to you in the life of his son. If you've had a rough time, you need prayer. There's people right over here to my right. If you have something to, good to share, they can pray with you and thank God with you. Stop and see them as well. God bless you. Love you.